The Margarita. On a trip to Washington DC a little while ago, I found myself with time to kill before my flight home. I knew exactly what it was in that city of treasures that I wanted to see, the space shuttle discovery. But that being near the airport, I figured I also had time to check out something else, something even rarer and more noteworthy. Something that was rumored to be among the three million artifacts preserved in the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Too many Manhattans in the old Ebbett Grill the night before meant I'd arisen slightly later than planned, so I elected to forego Abe Lincoln's hat, Dorothy's ruby slippers and the Star Spangled Banner and head instead straight to the star attraction. Approaching the help desk, I asked the nice lady behind the counter if she was perhaps willing to point me in the direction of my quarry. No, sir, I'm pretty sure we don't have that, but let me just check for you, she replied, and promptly started tapping away at her computer. Oh, yes, we do. Past the gift shop, left, and then left again. And so it was that a couple of minutes later, I found myself staring at the world's first frozen margarita machine. Invented by Texan restaurateur Mariano Martinez in 1971 and debuted at his Dallas restaurant Mariano's Mexican Cuisine, it was an ingenious solution to the issue of consistently dispensing 200 frozen margaritas a night to his thirsty guests. Invented might be a generous description, as he simply repurposed and modified an existing ice cream machine, but one does feel Martinez deserves at least a modicum of respect for his innovation. Mariano's marvellous machine and the many imitators that followed his unpatented creation propelled the already popular margarita to newfound heights in America. But we're perhaps getting ahead of ourselves. Let's look a little further back. Mezcal de tequila, the popular drink of the Mexicans, was available to purchase by the bottle in Los Angeles as long ago as 1882. Even more remarkably, it was available by the glass in London's Soho by 1899. But it is fair to say that neither nation fully embraced the delights of agave spirits at this time. America got a little more accustomed to the taste during Prohibition, when misleadingly labelled Mexican whiskey found its way across the border. In typical curmudgeonly fashion, the wonderfully opinionated David Embry described just such an encounter. When the cork was drawn, there emanated from the bottle an odour faintly resembling a combination of overripe eggs and Limburger cheese. Embry went on to a pine, in a pinch, it might be used in a cocktail. In general, however, the only liquor I have ever tasted that I regard as worse than tequila is Slivovitz. Londoners of this era embraced the Mexican spirit a little more than Mr. Embry. In the summer of 1925, it was reported that a consignment of tequila was heading from Tijuana to London via New York, some of which seemingly found its way into the hands of the Savoy's Harry Craddock, who then mixed quite possibly the first ever tequila cocktail in the United Kingdom. The Sonora is also a new mixture of Harry's. He got some of the ingredients for this cocktail from Mexican Indians. It contains tequila, which is extracted from the Mexican cactus. That was reported in the Western Daily Press on August 21st, 1925. Seemingly, Craddock either ran out of tequila or decided he didn't like it, 
as by the time his landmark 1930 Savoy cocktail book was published, the Sonora had transformed into a drink with a split base of rum and applejack, and not a single tequila drink was featured. Not all Londoners dismissed tequila quite so quickly. In 1936, it was reported that tequila cocktail parties were very much the fashion. Rooms were decorated with cacti and guests would drink tequila and pineapple juice or perform the Mexican itch. More intriguingly, in 1937, William J. Tarling of Piccadilly's Cafe Royal published his fine book, which featured 15 different tequila cocktails, including the Tijuana, a sort of unbalanced dry tequila Negroni, and the Picador, a shaken drink which sounds suspiciously like a salt-free margarita, containing two parts of tequila, a one part each of Cointreau and lemon or lime juice as it does. Back in America, in 1937, New York's Cotton Club's Book of Mixed Drinks featured a tequila sour recipe, which is essentially a picador, but this time with the addition of a salt rim. So clearly drinks that resembled the margarita in everything but name were available in London and New York before the conclusion of the 1930s. Now this is a theme that recurs again later in this book, when we discuss the Negroni, but it is a point worth labouring. Just because these drinks predate the margarita, it doesn't necessarily follow that they begat it. When this happens in nature, biologists call it convergent evolution. That is when two animals share characteristics that they didn't jointly inherit from a common ancestor. Insects, birds and bats, for example, all evolved wings independently of one another because wings are an excellent way to fly. Similarly, tequila, orange liqueur, lime juice and salt are an excellent way to make a drink, so it comes as no surprise that more than one person may have thought of it. In 1953, Esquire magazine introduced a new drink to the world. She's from Mexico, senoras, and her name is the Margarita Cocktail, and she is lovely to look at, exciting and provocative. One ounce tequila, a dash of triple sec, juice of half lime or lemon, pour over crushed ice, stir, rub the rim of a stem glass with rind of lemons or lime, Spin in salt, purr and sip. That was Esquire magazine's drink of the month from December of 1953. It is unclear from where Esquire acquired the recipe, but fear not, within a few years there will be no shortage of candidates. If so inclined, one can look up Henry Madden, Donna Bertha, Carlos Danny Herrera, Albert Hernandez, John De Lesser, Santos Cruz, Margaret Sames, Tommy Hilton, Danny Negrete, and my favourite, Francisco Pancho Morales. And the search will deliver myriad stories of how they claimed the creation of the drink for themselves, or how they had its creation or its popularity thrust upon them. And who knows, maybe they were all responsible. Most of the stories have enough credibility to make them, at the very least, hard to dismiss. It does stretch credulity a little, though, that they would all choose the same name for their independently conceived creations. Two distinct etymological bloodlines run through these tales. One that the drink is named for a woman named Margarita, or a Hispanicized form of the name Margaret. Or two, that it is named for the daisy flower, the Portuguese name of which is Margarita. The latter theory presents us with a tantalizing prospect. For the daisy is also 
the name of an antiquated family of drinks whose structure, at least in some parts of America, was not so very different from that of the margarita. And it kind of rings true for me, but it's hard to prove. One man, though, whilst not being responsible for creating the drink, can quite justifiably take credit for bringing it to a wider audience. Vern Underwood, a Los Angeles-based liquor distributor, noticed that one of his accounts, McHenry's Tale of the Cock Restaurant, was shifting significantly more tequila than any of his other accounts, a factor they attributed to the popularity of their margarita cocktail. Underwood soon capitalised on this discovery by advertising the drink in local and national press, urging readers to try a tequila margarita. These adverts appear from around 1955 onwards. Underwood may even have had a hand in naming the drink. In a 1974 interview, he claimed, we started bringing tequila in in 1942, and it was about 53 or 54 that we had the margarita cocktail. John DeLessa had created it, not very much before then, and actually no name had been given to it. We named it. They were serving a tequila drink at the tail of the cock, but really it was more or less nameless. We and the owner of the restaurant named it the Margarita. Unlike your shot of tequila, one would be well advised to take that particular claim with a pinch of salt. Underwood is a little vague with the timeline, but it does seem to post-date the Esquire article. Regardless, the adverts worked well, spectacularly well. In 1951, around 20,000 litres of tequila were imported into the United States. By the time Mariano Martinez was assembling his frozen margarita machine in 1971, that number would be closer to 10 million litres, largely driven by the popularity of this one drink. As evidenced by the first part of our story, the margarita became a blended frozen drink at some point, an innovation perhaps of Albert Hernandez Sr., who in 1947 was working in La Jolla, San Diego, when he came up with it. That date does, of course, raise an eyebrow, and we may never know for sure, but one suspects that the blending probably happened soon after the drink became widely known. Wearing blenders were to be found behind many bars, their invention necessitated by the popularity of handmade frozen drinks in the early 20th century. The 1960s and 1970s were the real heydays of the blended cocktail, though. So, of course, someone stuck a margarita in a blender. Why wouldn't they? And you know what? If you're going to blend it, where's the harm in throwing a bit of fruit in there? The dawn of the flavoured margarita. Zen and the art of the blended cocktail. The mechanical steel blades of an electric drinks blender are brutally efficient at creating a short-lived emulsion. However, it's not just as simple as throwing everything in and switching it on. There is a knack to juggling the quantity of liquid, observing the size and density of the ice, evaluating and judging the inconsistencies of the fresh fruit. It's a totally non-scientific knack, a feeling, a ballet of the mind. Too much of one and the drink turns into a granita. Too little of the other and the drink is disappointingly thin. If your straw will stand unwaveringly upright, then you've probably got it about right. Not so with the bastard offspring of the frozen margarita machine, the slushy machine. To achieve the right consistency in one of these, a particular proportion of alcohol, water and sugar must be used. What did all this mean for the margarita? 
a departure from the tart sting of fresh lime juice and in its place commercial margarita mix or sour mix laden with sugar and concentrated processed lime flavour. It probably seemed a good idea at the time, but history will judge that it was detrimental to the drink. It is worth pointing out that for a good part of our story, we've been talking about mixed tequila, that is, tequila distilled from a fermented combination of agave and other sugars, not the 100% blue Weber agave tequila that connoisseurs generally enjoy today. Those pioneering bartenders in the 1930s were doubtless using 100% agave tequila, but by the time the margarita was finding fame, the minimum quantity of agave sugars had fallen to 70%, and by the time Mariana was building his machine, that figure was just 51%. And we don't really see the return of 100% agave tequilas until the 1980s, and even then they remained niche until the 1990s. 100% agave tequila does taste different, and thus, so did the margaritas at this time. This is not a book about twisted classics, but it would be remiss of me to conclude this section without a nod to Julio Bermejo of Tommy's Bar San Francisco, a man whose affection and humility know no bounds, and a man responsible for the biggest upheaval to the margarita of the modern era, the Tommy's Margarita which simply substitutes agave syrup for the Cointreau and generally dispenses with the salt-frosted rim. It is one of the very few drinks to attain modern classic status, whatever that means, and very nice they are too. Mention must also go to Thomas Estes and the much-missed Henry Besant, Thomas for his role as the founder of Covent Garden Tequila Bar Cafe Pacifica, and Henry as one half of the Worldwide Cocktail Club alongside Dre Masso, and as one of the founders of the Green and Red Tequila Bar in London, all of whom were instrumental in bringing tequila and the other native agave spirits of Mexico to wider attention in the United Kingdom. Like so many of the drinks in this book, the modern cocktail revolution has led to a move back to something that more closely resembles the earlier form of the drink. The margarita mixed slushy machine version is still immensely popular, in the type of bars that have hawkers outside them hustling unsuspecting tourists through the door. But in establishments with more respect for the craft of the cocktail, the drink is now, once again, a simple combination of tequila, Cointreau and lime juice, shaken with ice and strained into a salt-frosted glass. Truth be told, because the bartender will more often than not reach for a bottle of 100% agave tequila these days, the modern iteration of the margarita is probably better than any of its predecessors. Just don't ask for one in the Smithsonian, they don't like that. Some notes on mixing the margarita. Of utmost importance when preparing a margarita is the asking of two questions beforehand, straight up or on the rocks, and salt or no salt. The answers will dictate which glass you select and how it is prepared. If the answer is on the rocks, then a small tumbler is used. In the case of straight up, a wide-brimmed stemmed cocktail glass is the ideal. When applying salt to the rim, one takes a pre-cut lime wedge and rubs it around the rim of the glass. The glass is then dipped into finely ground sea salt, not table salt, and gently rotated. It is best to do all this before you start preparing the actual drink, giving the salt a moment to dry out and 
attach itself adequately to the glass. Where possible, use freshly squeezed lime juice and shake vigorously with plenty of ice. Before straining the drink into the glass, take a small sponge or beverage napkin and wipe the excess salt from the inside of the rim of the glass to prevent it finding its way into the drink. Garnish with a lime wedge or wheel on the side. And if one is not in possession of the guest's margarita preferences, then a straight-up margarita with salt on just one half of the rim rarely offends.